We are in the book of Ephesians today. I invite you to open your copy of God's Word to that, and we will be in chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. We handed out these uh, journal Bibles at the beginning of the, the Ephesians series. If you, um, if you don't own one, would encourage you to uh, grab one at the uh, welcome table on your way out. We'll have them available to you. They're a great little way. I've, I've already talked to a couple of you that are like, I just can't write in my Bible, <laughs> my normal physical Bible. I understand that. There's like a certain sense there where you're messing something up. So this is just a copy of God's of Ephesians on the left and a blank like journal on the right. So you can circle. And matter of fact, today I'm going to have a couple of uh, suggestions for you for uh, things, to, uh, things to mark in your Bible. So why are we doing this uh, series through the book uh, of Ephesians? Um, well, one more time, the Q&A, I wanted to throw that number on the screen just in case you didn't get to write it down, is uh, the number 617-942-0753. I know we're not going to throw it up the rest of the service, so I encourage you to write it down now uh, because you may not have a question in this moment, but you might later, and then you're like, what was that number? Uh, so um, write it down now, even if you don't think you're going to use it. Uh, but we're going book by, uh, verse by verse through the book of Ephesians because we uh, periodically and regularly go verse by verse through books of the Bible. One of the reasons for that is because um, we believe that God's word is, uh, is not just like, a, like a, a random book of wisdom that we just you know, grab certain verses and pull things out for ourselves. There are times to look at the Bible systematically. Um, and look at sort of what does the Bible say about this topic and like pulling from different books in the Bible. Um, and, and, that, and we do that from time to time. But then also we want to walk through God's word and let the scripture set the agenda for uh, the message, uh, the series that we're in. And in our case today, the book of Ephesians uh, is a great book written uh, for uh, and, and connects with us personally as a church because it's written to a small church in a larger pagan city that was wealthy, culturally diverse, full of temptations and uh, challenges for the uh, for the church to live out the gospel uh, on a daily basis. And the first part of the the uh, book of Ephesians, chapters one through three, is gospel theology. So it's digging into the depth of what it means to know Christ, who He is, uh, what it means that He's redeemed us out of um, sin and death. And then the second part, chapters four through six, is about gospel living and the first part of that really is about what does it mean to live in the gospel in the church together, the way we love each other, serve each other, care for each other. And then the last couple of chapters are dedicated to things like marriage, work, and uh, parenting, and um, yeah, uh, all kinds of different relationships. So we'll get to those uh, later on. But it's a very handy book and a helpful book uh, for us to go through. Today we're looking at the last section of chapter one. We'll finish out chapter one today, and it builds on everything Paul has already said. So um, I know you're like, well, yeah, it's a letter, but but you have to look at how he begins this. I'm going to read it in a moment, but I wanted you to, to see these words. He says, for this reason. So he's, if you remember, chapter one, verses three through 14, it's one sentence in the original language. It's a huge theological passage where, where Paul's uh, championing, holding up the blessings of adoption, the blessings of uh, redemption, and the blessings of our inheritance in Christ through the Holy Spirit. And so he's built this out, and then he says, for this reason. Now let's follow along. When I'm done, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and love for you to join me by saying thanks be to God. Paul says, uh, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. So Paul, after this big theological you know, f- sentence, right? he spills over into prayer immediately. He's, he starts by praising the faith of the Ephesian Christians. So he, had, he remembers back, and you, again, you can go back to Acts 19 and read all about the Ephesian church and how they, uh, the incredible things that, uh, that God did through Paul there and was doing in the church. Um, but he remembers that and he goes, you guys, I, I love the way you're following Jesus, your boldness in Christ in a, a huge pagan city that doesn't love Jesus, that's tempting you in every way where there's, there's demonic forces and principalities and powers that are at work and you are walking by faith. And he says, the love you have for each other. I've heard of the love that you have for each other as a church. And I think what an amazing uh, picture here. What an amazing thing to be reminded of. I, I hope our church, I hope that, that um, people would know um, if they come to Koa, they visit Koa, or they hear about Koa, that, that they would hear about a church that loves each other. Yes, we want to love the city, and there's no doubt about that. But isn't it bizarre for a church to love the city if it isn't overflow of a deep love in here? among God's people. And that's the picture, is that out of the love we share together as brothers and sisters in Christ, that, and that faith in Christ, that overflows, it spills over into the city around us. And he goes, I, I want to give thanks for you. He's, he's praising God, right? This is, a, um, this is the opposite of a spirit of criticism. It's a spirit of gratitude, right? And I realize right now, I wasn't actually, it's not my notes, but you know, I realize right now there's, there's a huge, number one, our culture has like a, just a very critical spirit about everything, right? Like it, and, it's, and it's not nuanced. It's, it's just almost outright condemnation of, of everything it disagrees with or whoever you disagree with or whatever you disagree with. And, and um, you know, some of you may have even been listening to uh, Christianity Today's uh, podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Um, it's an excellent podcast, really well done. Um, and I, you know, I was involved with Acts, we were involved with Acts 29 movement, uh, up until about 2018. And, um, you know, I, I've actually, back in the day, I had lunch with Mark Driscoll. So, um, I had a vested interest in reading about it and hear, or hearing about it and listening to it. And I love what, um, what Mike Cosper's tried to do, he's tried his best not to be like, that church was evil and everything that happened in that church was evil and nothing good happened there, right? Like that's how our culture responds. What he did say is there were some evil things that happened there. There's some bad things there, but, but, but God also moved. There are people in the kingdom because of it. And I think this picture of nuanced approach to, to things, and I think that undergirding that, we ought to, when we're, when we're not called upon to critique, and I would say, argue that sitting on a hill needs to be critiqued. We're not a perfect church. There's no perfect church. We want to, and, and we'll get to it a little bit later, but Paul says in Ephesians 4, we need to speak the truth in love. 
So there needs to be a space to talk about things, but there's not a space for a spirit of criticism. That's our culture. That's how they operate, right? We want a spirit of gratitude. And I would argue that gratitude begins with gratitude for individuals, not, you know, you can be grateful for the church, right? Like for sitting on a hill and that's fine. But, but I think it, gratitude really begins with gratitude towards someone else. So if you're a member or you're sitting on a hill as your home church, what I would encourage you to do before you leave here today is go to your community group leader, go to a, a, a friend, go to uh, someone who has impacted you, encouraged you, helped you in your walk, and you've been blessed in any way by them, and just thank them. Just say, hey, thank you, sister. Thank you, brother. Like, and be specific. Like, I love the way you did this. I love the way you do that. I love the way Mike leads worship. Like, I, I kidding, I'm not coordinated enough to dance around during music anyway, and you don't want to see that, and I know two songs on guitar, Lord, I Lift Your Name on High, and Every Move I Make, which are old worship songs back in the day, they're exact same chord progression, uh, so I knew those, so you don't want me leading worship, but every week I'm like blessed to hear and to be led by Mike and uh, his heart for worship. Um, and so, you know, find someone in Koa to just thank for uh, and, and remember them. You're, you're doing what Paul's saying here. I, I'm, I'm thankful for you. I'm thinking about you. And he says, I remember you in my prayers. So what we get here is Paul saying like, hey, I remember you in my prayers. And now I'm going to tell you what I pray for, which I don't do that a lot with people. I mean, I might be like, hey, I'm praying for you, praying for that area of your life or this area of your life. But um, Paul doesn't actually... <laughs> His, his prayers are very different than, than most of ours, and I would argue mine included. Um, Paul's prayer is not a prayer about a relationship, that God would restore a relationship. It's not a prayer for, hey, so-and-so is sick, and we should, we should pray for their healing. It's not a prayer for um, a new opportunity in your workplace. What does Paul pray for? Verse 17 says, it's a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Christ knowledge of him. So he's praying. This is this let me let me let me give you the 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 cliff notes or blamation version of that verse. I'm asking that God would knock your doors off with a revelation of who he is. That you would see him more fully, experience him more deeply, that your heart would be blown up by how amazing God is. Now, I'm not saying that Paul would say, don't pray for your sick or don't pray for that relationship or don't pray for that job opportunity. Not, Paul's not saying don't pray for those things. What I'm saying is if, if you've missed Jesus in the midst of that, you've missed having your heart enlightened and, and, and growing in the knowledge of who God is, then, then whether you get that job or not is, is, uh, is not as important, right? Like, let's face it. If you have Christ... Whether you get that job or not, you're going to be okay. If your heart is full of God's grace and mercy and you're walking in affection and intimacy with him, then if that, that a promotion doesn't pan out for you, then you're not going to be destroyed. Even sickness, even death cannot take you away from God. But the problem is that we, we get focused on those things, feeling like if those things work out, then we're good. Instead of understanding that the greatest thing that you and I need here today and every day is to have the eyes of our hearts opened and lightened to see God more clearly. You see, the, the problem with Christianity, and I would say, if I could say this, the problem with Christianity is, is not that, um, uh, is grace. Grace is amazing, incredible. 
But because it's not about rules, it's not about following these rules, not about checking off a box that you did this and that, and you went to church on Sunday and you gave and you, you, know, you did this for a friend or you, whatever. It's not about that. It's about faith, right? It's about faith. Unfortunately, faith can very easily slip over into just intellectual knowledge, right? It can just slip right over and we can, we can move back from walking by faith and resting in intellectual knowledge. What separates a religious person who knows about Christianity from a Christian is what Paul says is the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. You see, here's the thing that should scare all of us. You're a Christian. You can believe in God. You can. You can believe in the Trinitarian God of the universe. You can believe that Jesus Christ was God's son, came into the world, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for the sins of the world, rose from the grave three days later, and is seated at the right hand of God today. You can believe that and not be a Christian. Why? Because demons believe it. The book of James tells us that the demons believe in God, which means they know God's plan of salvation. They know God's plan of redemption. They don't like it. They hate it. So so you can intellectually assent to that information without believing it, without having the eyes of your heart enlightened. And this goes way beyond information. Now, it's don't get me wrong. There's information. This is not... You know, throw your brain out and be a Christian, right? This, this is not anti-intellectual Christianity. As a matter of fact, the beauty of it is that these two go hand in hand. It's like, it's like, um, it's like my relationship with Teresa, right? We've been married for 27 years, and, and, and I think about that, and I'm like, you know, it's, it's not that I go like, honey, I just don't want to know anything else about you. I just want to love you. Right? I don't want to know any more information. I don't need, uh, I don't need any more about you. I just want to walk in love with you. That's insane, isn't it? So it's not anti-information. It's just beyond information. It's information that compels and moves. And this is the opening of the eyes of our heart. You guys know the difference between intellectual knowledge and experiential knowledge, right? Intellectual knowledge of a Union Square maple bacon donut. Ingredients include milk, yeast, sugar, eggs, butter, salt, vanilla, extract, nutmeg, flour, and vegetable oil. The topping is unsalted butter, pure maple syrup, confectioner sugar, salt, maple extract, and bacon. I can even show you a picture of it on the screen, right? Like, like that's interesting. But if you've never had it, you're kind of wondering about it right now. You're thinking, I've never had one of those. I bet they taste good. If you've had it, you're like, oh yeah, I remember that. My eyes of my heart have been enlightened to that reality. I have experiential knowledge. And now I know where I'm going right after church, right? <laughs> I wish I, had, I could have gotten dozens of them for you guys. But, um, but the point is, the intellectual knowledge is we can look at the information and be like, oh, that's really interesting and fascinating. It's very different to take that donut and put it in your mouth and taste the, 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 the fullness of the donut and the sweetness of the icing and the savor, savory flavor of the bacon, right? Very different. <laughs> we can know about God. And Paul's saying you don't need to know about God. It's merely just information. You need to know God. And the reason for this, that Paul's praying this way, and the reason we need this today is this knowledge is 
Number one, it's the way a person becomes a, a Christian in the first place. So in, in across the room today, or maybe even online, uh, you're watching and you're not a, a follower of Jesus. You need the eyes of your heart opened so that you can experience Jesus. Because you, without it, you, your eyes are not open. You see, but you don't see is what Jesus said. You hear, but you don't hear. So, so God needs to open the eyes of your heart to see Christ. Now, if you're a Christian, remember this. Paul's not praying to, for non-Christians here, is he? He's praying for Christians, which is saying that you and I, we lose our vision sometimes. We get dull. Our vision gets dull, and we don't see Christ fully. We need, you and I, as believers, Christians, followers, need the eyes of our heart opened today because we will default back to information about Jesus and not experience of Jesus. We need the spirit of wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of Christ in us. Now, what are the three things that he's asking God to open our eyes to see? And and this is where Paul gives us the clues. And if you've got your journal uh, Bible with you, look at verses 18 and 19 and circle the three what's. Because this is what what Paul is praying for us. It's, It's what he's telling us we need to know three separate what's there. The first, he says, is that we need to know the hope we have. We need the hope to which we have, specifically to which we have been called, is what he says. Every day, every moment of every day, your life and my life is shaped by hope. It is, whether we stop and think about it or not, If you take the garbage out, you're taking the garbage out with hope. What? That it won't be in your house anymore and it won't smell, right? That your house will be a little bit cleaner. You're you're doing things out of hope, the hope that this will do that. Whether you stop and think about it or not, the the way that you take care of your home, the way that you spend your money, the way you go to work, the way you treat other people is all shaped by hope. We can't help this. And, uh, and the hope, it impacts us. When, when we're aware of it, we, we really see it, right? A hope of a degree means you'll go to school. You'll study hard. Many of you have, have studied very hard over the years to finish a degree, right? That's hope that you will graduate. It's, it's not a promise not, or it's not guaranteed until it's a reality. It's a hope. And, and you and I make decisions every day based on these hopes. And the greater the hope, the more it shapes us. The greater the hope, when, when um, I think about when Teresa and I were, were dating, we're actually, I think, engaged at this point. And I was living, um, I was a, a youth pastor uh, over a summer, I lived on site at the church that I was the youth pastor at, and it was about an hour away. And I would, um, you know, I lived there and, and was working there, and Teresa would kind of come out some when she could, but I remember driving a lot. Um, I remember driving a lot. It was an hour each way and sometimes driving really late at night. And I remember times there were, there was a car accident, uh, where, where it just got delayed. And, and let me tell you something. There, there was no, um, there was no iPhones back then. There weren't even iPods back then. Okay. So, so, uh, you had to listen to the radio, not Sirius XM or any of that, the actual FM dials, you know, you turn, uh, you had to listen to the radio or be in silence. And I remember driving late at night, like, you know, back to my place or to go see her or whatever. And I just remember it was all shaped by hope. 
Like it was all shaped by a hope that I would get to see her and that this was the woman I was going to spend the rest of my life with. That kind of hope makes a difference. And the problem is Paul is saying you and I lose sight of that hope. We need the eyes of our heart enlightened to see and to know that 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 hope's real. The Ephesians needed hope. They were a small church in a big scary city, right? There were were, uh, pagan people. There were actually people that rose up against Paul to try to run him out of town because the church uh, was having an effect on the silver trade. Right? And, and businesses were being closed and, and people got mad and, and, and wanted to uh, throw Paul out. See, our hope can be dulled and our hope, our dan- the other danger is that we can be tempted by lesser hopes. You can put other hopes at the center of your life. Now, we, I'm not saying don't have any other hopes, right? Like just Jesus, no hopes in this world, right? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the danger is that if, you're, if, you're not, if your heart is not open and you're not experiencing the fullness of that hope to which you've been called in Christ, then what are you gonna do? You're gonna look to other hopes to kind of elevate that. So take, that, take it as a, as a parent. The parents in this room here right now. Your, your, your hope, you transfer that hope to your kids, your hopes for your child to grow and to be all this and be amazing. And then you begin, what happens is you subtly begin to put this burden on your children. You put this burden of hope. Like my, my hope in life is that somehow it, everything has to be great for you and you have to be perfect and your life has to be great and you have to make a difference in the world. Do you know what that does to a child? You'll crush that child. And, worse yet, they're not perfect. I know, shocking, right? They're not, I mean, my kids are. But um, other people's children are not, were not perfect or not perfect. And, and so what happens when they disappoint you? When you realize they're wicked little sinners just like you are. What happens to that hope? It gets kind of shaken, doesn't it? That's why you need a greater hope. We need to live in the hope that that Paul is referring back to in verses three through 14 of uh, our hope of adoption, our hope of redemption, and our hope of the internal inheritance that we get. We wanna be a church, City on the Hill wants to be a church that is marked by hope. Like that we're not a naive sort of, uh, not a naive like everything's gonna turn out or a stoic like, oh, well, you know, we just believe and hope and nothing touches us, right? No, not that kind of hope, an optimistic hope that, that when cancer strikes, we, we pray, we go to battle in prayer believing with hope that God can heal that person and he does sometimes. But also, Our hope is so powerful and so full and so far beyond this world and simply physical health that if healing doesn't happen, that hope remains unchanged. That's the kind of hope that we want to be marked by. So he wants us to know the hope we've been called. Secondly, he wants us to see, uh, we need to have our eyes open to see Um, God's inheritance in us, to see and to know God's inheritance in us. Verse 18, he says, what are, the second what, are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? That just sounds like a bunch of spiritual mumbo jumbo. (laughs) Like what in the world is Paul talking about here? The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. I mean, what does he mean? 
Well, I'll tell you this. It's not the inheritance we looked at last week at the end of, of uh, chapters 1, verses 11 through 14. That's not the hope he's talking about. He's, he's talking about a different hope here. Paul is very clearly not pointing, to, pointing not to our hope, but to God's hope or God's inheritance. What could that inheritance be? I mean, what do you get the God who has everything, right? What do Elon Musk's friends buy him for his birthday? You know, get him a new watch, a TV, maybe an electric car. Like, I mean, I, I seriously do wonder that sometimes. What do you buy somebody like that? What does God get that he doesn't have right now? Now, he's not deficient. He doesn't need it. He's not struggling up in heaven lonely like a, a seventh grade, you know, zit-faced kid hoping somebody will like him and can't wait till all his friends get to come over for his birthday party. No, God is sovereign. He's powerful. But he said, no, there's an inheritance that I have and that he's actually responsible for as well. He says, what is this inheritance? Paul says, it's the saints. His inheritance is in the saints. Definitely not referring to the New Orleans NFL football team. But he's also not referring to a, a special class of, of Christian that like the Catholic Church has enshrined St. You know, Teresa or St. Uh, Patrick. No, this is not a special group of Christians. This is all Christians. This is God's people. This is all the people who've been blessed with all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ in verse 3, right? He's saying all of you, you are God's inheritance, He's saying, Paul's saying, I'm praying that you might know that you're God's greatest treasure. You and me. Look around for a moment. This group, we're God's inheritance. All our insecurities, weakness, anxieties, fears, addictions, obsessive behavior, Whatever it might be, all of us, like, like we don't look too great, do we? <laughs> I mean, we're like, really? Like, this is it? Like, the God of the universe is what he chose for his inheritance. And the answer is yes. God says, that's my people. <laughs> that's my people. And I, they're my inheritance because I have blessed them in the heavenly places with every spiritual blessing in Christ. They have been blessed by me. And one day, they will be with me. That's the inheritance. The inheritance is that one day before God, we'll be there. And I love Paul modifies that it would be amazing to, for Paul to just say, I want you to know of God's inheritance in the saints. But what's the language he used? He throws in two words there. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So Paul's, Paul's like trying to get our minds up and realize this amazing glory that God has in us. Francis Chan said, the wildest part is that Jesus doesn't have to love us. He, being, his being is utterly complete and perfect apart from humanity, yet he wants us, he chooses us, even considers us his inheritance, the greatest knowledge that we can ever have it's knowing God treasures us. And yes, that's collective, but that's not apart from individual. 
You individually are part of God's rich and glorious inheritance in the saints. This is one of the reasons why we value uh, community groups here as a church. We, we believe that it's important for us to understand, not just understand this inheritance between us and God, but that, that we need to be reminded of it. Listen, if Paul's saying you need the, the, a revelation, you need the, your heart to grow, you need your mind to grow to experience the, the fullness of this and have your eyes of your heart open to know the knowledge, right? To have the full knowledge of this, of, of, of what the, the, the hope you've been called to and, and God's glorious inheritance in the saints. So it's in us. It's in not just are we broken individually, but we're also broken collectively. We hurt each other. I hurt you. You hurt me. It's going to happen. We're a broken body of people, but just like a broken individual, God redeems. God has a plan for us. A plan for, to, to prosper us, right? And this is the hope that, that you and I cling to. And sometimes when we struggle and we're, we're doubting, we need each other. Listen, this Sunday gathering is great. I love it. I love gathering. I love uh, worshiping. I love being with you all. Um, but, but really, this is just a t- taste of the glorious inheritance. It is the day in and day out brotherly and sisterly relationships. The people you rejoice with, the people you grieve with, the people that, that you practice all these one another's in scripture with. People that, are, that, that you, didn't, you didn't pick, like you didn't choose these people, but Christ has brought you into a community group together. You begin to share your life on a deep level. That's, that's the, the taste. That's the, a, a beginning of that experience of the fullness of the riches of God's glory and the glorious inheritance in the saints. So we need to know these things, the hope and the inheritance. And then thirdly, Paul says, the third what, is that we need to know God's power towards us. Paul highlights his power and God's power, uh, the, the power in two ways, pointing to Christ's resurrection and Christ's rule. But look at verse 19 and 20. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Immeasurable greatness is really hard to kind of uh, to capture in the English language, the way that it's phrased in the, in the original Greek. It suggests that the conception it is attached to is thrown over into another sphere altogether. So basically, what Paul is saying is he takes this idea of power that we have. So it's a power of money, power of influence, uh, power of knowledge or ideas. And he just puts them in a nice little shoebox over here and goes, look at that. Isn't that cute? This is God's power. Like he's like pointing to the entire universe compared to this cute little box of power that we, we get enamored with. He's saying that's how different God's power is. And that power is at work, crazy enough, in you and I. It's not just power in general. It's power, listen to what he says, towards us who believe. Anybody feel powerful today? Just feeling it, right? No. So why don't, we, why don't we feel that power? Because it's not power for us to just carry around and wield as we want to. It's power that is working in us according to God's good purpose and pleasure. And, but it is power. It's power that is keeping you from going headlong into your sin right now. Have you stopped and thought about that? 
We don't. I don't. I just think I'm doing okay, right? Doing okay. But I'm not seeing the power of sin and, and the power of the enemy to deceive me. And the power of Christ that has kept me, kept me faithful to my wife for 27 years, kept me faithful as a pastor, not perfect, but faithful, kept me, kept me, uh, not, not had me go headlong into sin, power that has kept me, that is keeping me and will keep me. So it's not power for you and I to carry around in our back pocket like a wad full of cash. It's power to walk in this world by faith in Christ and put to death the deeds of the flesh by the power of the spirit. So Christ, he he gives us two two conceptions here. It's hard to fully understand, but he says like, let me tell you what this power is like that you can have at least a framework. The first is Christ's resurrection. Look, Look at verse 19, the second part of verse 19. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. I thought Paul might have said, according to the creation of the universe. Because I tend to think, man, that's pretty big. That's, that's huge. We know how big, we're, we're beginning to get some, some idea of how big it is right now, right? We're, we've, we've got, uh, you know, telescopes and scientists doing research on it. And, and we're figuring out the, how big this thing is. And it's, it's staggering, right? We think, oh, that's it. Or how complex it is down on the, you know, molecular level or DNA. And, the, you know, looking at all these complexities and going, oh, it's according to creation. But, but creation was God making something out of nothing, but the power of the resurrection is different because it's making some, something good out of something bad. And that's different. You see, the power of the resurrection overcomes the power of death. And death is a corrosive, destructive, pernicious power. Death is at work in the world because we, as human beings, rebelled against God and corrupted, we became corrupted and corrupted the world. So, so things are, are broken. The entire system is broken. And God is saying the power that, that, that had Christ, that raised Christ from the dead, that broke the system, right? Reversed the system. That is the power that's at work in you. The God who is able, the power that's able to create good things, even out of bad things, is the power that's at work in you. I love Tony Evans. He says, the Sunday Jesus rose from the dead made all the difference in the world. As a matter of fact, it made all the difference for the world. God puts that power in you. In the face of, of, of your sin, in the face of your struggles, in the face of your weakness, he meets you. With that power that raised Christ from the dead, and he can bring life and, 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 and goodness out of you. And then finally, it's Christ's rule. You want to see the power in the resurrection now, the Christ's rule. Look at verse 21 through 23. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in, the, in this age, but also in the one to come. So it's important to understand when he's referring to power here, he's referring to, this is, this is specifically spiritual warfare 
power he's talking about. Ephesians 6.12 talks about the, the principalities and the powers of darkness that are in this world, right? And he's referring to these here and he's saying, so Christ has, has resurrected and he is also seated at the right hand of the Father. Now the power that raised him above all of those things, so those things are under him. All of the power of demons and principalities and forces that are at work in this world are below him. He reigns, he rules high above. Verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul wants us to see the ultimate finality of God's plan. That um, It's one of the biggest themes in the whole book of Ephesians is that God's plan and purpose will be carried out on a cosmic scale and on a, on a very practical scale, personal scale. I love the, the John Piper here. He says, the, the risen Jesus Christ is head over all things. Head, implying authority and conscious, active rule over all of history, all human beings, all demonic powers, disease, disabilities, all nature, weather, hurricanes, lightning bolts, tornadoes, volcanoes, earthquakes, floods, global warming, all business and industry, healthcare, sports, March Madness, inventions, media, internet, iPad mania, military might, governments, presidents, kings, chiefs, religions, universities, solar systems, stars, galaxies, molecules, atoms, subatomic particles, and 10,000 things no one has ever yet discovered. Jesus is now head over them all, conscious active, authoritative ruler. That's the hope to which we've been called. That's what we need our hearts enlightened to because we live in a culture, in a world, in a city that is enamored with small hopes, small realities. And and Paul is saying we need to have our hearts ripped out and, 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 and exploded with this reality. I need it, you need it. As I close, one of my favorite stories in the Gospels is uh, Jesus had a really unique relationship with Mary, Martha, uh, and their brother, uh, Lazarus. If you don't know, they were, they were friends, and, and it appears that uh, maybe their parents had died, and, and um, somehow, or, or maybe at least the father had died in that family, and Jesus just had this relationship with these three siblings, uh, where he'd stay in their home, and they were traveling. One story in Luke it, that's really fascinating is Mary and Martha are together um, and uh, have Jesus over, and, and Mary, Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet. He's teaching, he's talking, he's speaking. And she's just sitting there, you know? She's got her Ephesians journal out. She's taking notes, you know? She's listening. She's, she's having her heart moved by Jesus. Martha was running around making sure everything was perfect. Literally Martha stewarding it, right? She was like, oh, I want to make sure all the food's perfect and the tables are perfect and everything's perfect. And it wasn't that so much what, what um, Martha was doing was was sinful or improper as much as it was insignificant compared to being at the feet of Jesus. And I wonder how often you and I are busy doing things for Jesus in the world. So much so we don't sit at the feet of Jesus. 
and have the eyes of our heart opened and we see and we feel and we know the hope to which we've been called, the glorious inheritance we are in this, with the saints and the, to know the power of God that is at work in us. This was Paul's prayer for us today. Paul's prayer for you and I. And this is my prayer for us today as a church that we would know each of these realities more fully. We're gonna, in a moment, we're gonna move into our time of communion and, um, and I invite you to, if you're a Christian, we'll invite you to come out, step out over the next song and, and take communion. But uh, before we do that, um, I, wanna, I wanna ask you to just stop and take 30 seconds to pray for these things for those around you. Maybe you even need to leave your Bible open so you can read these things. The hope to which you've been called, the glorious inheritance in the saints, and the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. Would you pray that for just the people around you? Take 30 seconds and do that. moment they would have the eyes of their hearts enlightened to see the fullness of this power towards them in your name we pray amen